Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Michelle Gabriel. She is an award-winning storyteller, the founder and CEO of Story by Design, an author, a coach, a keynote speaker, and a leadership consultant. Welcome, Michelle. I am so excited and happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great, and I'm excited to be here too, Brad. I look forward to this from our very first conversation. (laughs) Yes, we had a a very interesting and fun conversation. So I'm really excited to have you here, and I'm looking so forward to jumping in and sharing all about who you are and the beautiful light that you put out into the world through the wonderful work that you do. So welcome, and let's get started. So as mentioned, you wear all of these hats and all of these titles, it's exhausting just thinking about all of them. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of hats and quite a resume. So I'm curious, how on earth do you find all the time for this? And how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? <laughs> First of all, I don't do everything at once. <laughs> right, of course. I do them in stages. And also, I used to do a, a lot of just packing in as much as I could in a single day. But you know what? As I've aged and as I've gotten a little bit wiser, for me, it's the quality of the experience that truly matters. So I have taken pains to organize my days and my life so that I can do the things that bring me joy and be with people and do my work, but also to have time for self-care, to have time for doing the things that fill my cup back up again, take home with friends and so on, that is really important. I don't like the word balance so much because I I don't even know what that means. I just think we recognize what we need at a given time and hopefully we're wise enough to attend to that because for me, I want to have fun and I want to feel joy and not be so pressed that it just becomes a stress factor versus an act of love and joy where I can be fully present in whatever I do. Life is short. We have to enjoy the time we're here. Yes, of course, we have to work because we have to make money, but being able to, to do something you love for work And at the same time, being able to live your life and enjoy your life and be happy in what you do, that's key. That's key to life. It is. With you wearing these multiple hats, or let's call it multidisciplinary, what does your morning routine look like? (laughs) I live here in Costa Rica. So I'm in the the beautiful sun in the tropics, although I live in the Central Valley, not not on the coast. For me, I ease into my morning. Best for me, I have three animals, two shelter, two rescues, and one designer animal. And so I have to attend to them first because the dog needs to go out and so on. So I take time with my animals to get them set for the day and get them fed. 
I also take time to have my cup of coffee, to listen to the birds, and to meditate, to journal, to take time to set the day in motion that I know will be a productive one. And I actually go out to the pool to do the writing because I love the sound of the birds. I love the wind against my face. I love to see the sun poking its way through the palm trees. And I just find that when I set my day up like that, it just goes better. It sounds magical. The sun poking through the trees, sitting out by the pool. That sounds amazing. <laughs> sounds like paradise. <laughs> it is paradise. And it's before everybody else wakes up. So <laughs> it's very yeah, private peace and, peace and quiet, right? And that, right. that solitude. And it right. sounds beautiful. Michelle, what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? Oh, wow. I think that it's tapping back into the why, why I do what I do. It's being able to know through the feedback that I receive that I really am making a contribution to someone's life. That's my joy. There's a wonderful Indigenous saying I totally embrace, and it goes something like this. If you could say at the end of the day, this is a good day to fly, and having been a consultant to the Boeing Company for 26 plus years, that seemed to be <laughs> quite fitting. It's a good day to fly, and it's a good day to die. And what that really means is that I think when we are fully accessing our gifts, we're fully expressing them, that is a good day to fly and a good day to die because we're filled up. And I know there are days when I say that, I just say, I I'm complete. Yeah. <laughs> I know that whatever I've done in that day, even a small act of kindness or being with a client or something else, a conversation with a friend, those are the moments that matter. And I think as we get older, and I'm going to be 78 in a couple of weeks, is that means even more now, more than ever, to be able to do that. That it's not so much about how many millions can I reach, but rather of those that I have and of those that I hope to reach, am I doing something in their life that's lasting, that's going to support them on their own journey? And if I can say yes to that, then it is a very good day to fly and a very good day to die. Quality over quantity. And there's nothing like the feeling of knowing that you have impacted someone's life. It is just really, I believe that's why we're all here on this planet is to right. give back to people, to support people, to cheer the people on in our lives, to, to lift them up and to lift others. That's why we're here. That's the main reason we're here on this planet that's is right. to all come together and raise the collective, raise the vibration of the collective and support each other. That's right. That's exactly right. That reminds me of a, I founded the storytelling residency program at Children's Hospital in Seattle years ago. And a couple of years ago, I got an email from one of my patients, <laughs> Sian. <laughs> and Sian had a very aggressive cancer. There were times that she was in such pain that there were literally layers of skin dropping from the roof of her mouth. Oh. And when I started to work with her and tell her stories, and I remembered when her cousins came to visit, this was the time when she was feeling a little bit better, but her face was bloated, her hair was gone, bald head. And they visited, and then afterward, the mom called me, and she said, Michelle, when the cousins were here in the hospital, she said... <laughs> She, Sian put them in a semicircle mm -hmm. and she story told to them every story you've told her. <laughs> <And she> said, <laughs> 
cousins were enthralled. In fact, when they got back in the car, and it was her sister's children, and her sister said, what do you think about it? Sam? Thinking they would talk about the bald head, that they would talk about her bloated face. No, they said, she's such a good storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> and then... I went into her room one day. She was in a lot of pain. And I said, honey, don't even open your eyes. Just let me tell you a story with your eyes closed. And I remembered that when I first entered her room, she had handed me a book of Irish fairy tales. Those were her favorites. And I was expecting to tell her a story while she wanted me to read to her. So, of course, Uh. thank you. And so it came to me, I needed to tell her a story, make up a story about with an Irish feeling to it. So with an Poor Irish accent. Oh, Sian, my child, I can see you're really suffering today. <laughs> to take you to the land of the fairies, child, into the, the pot of gold, and you're not going to be suffering anymore. And so I come out of the room because she literally, her face was in pain, and then I watched her ease. Her face just calmed, and she fell asleep. It was like balm for the soul. And I came out of the room. There was someone standing there that I knew, a nurse, and I just fell into her arms crying. She said, what is it? I said, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be doing what I'm doing and be in that moment when I can contribute to someone's healing. When she wrote me several years ago, she said, Michelle, I have a nine-year-old daughter. I've been cancer-free for over 30 years. And she said, you are the one who saved my life through stories. And what I need you to know now is that my own daughter has read already 50 books. And she said, wow. I knew that I had to live to enjoy more stories. Brad. How powerful. What a beautiful I, gift you gave her. And she gave I you. And it's she reciprocal, gave right? It's just so beautiful. I Absolutely. love that. Thank you for sharing Absolutely. that story, Michelle. I would love to know, you. I know you just mentioned it very briefly. What were you doing for a living before jumping into the world of entrepreneurship? <laughs> Brad, I never intended to be an entrepreneur. I was raised in a generation when I thought I would be married by the time I graduated from college. There wasn't anybody standing there on a white horse (laughs) without a horse. (laughs) Wasn't going to happen. And though I'd worked since I was 14, I was raised in a single parent family in Anchorage, Alaska. I was a speech and drama major. So my first job was a casework assistant in a child welfare agency. And I got to see the suffering of children and knew that I wanted to be an advocate for them, but not in that setting because the courts would say, okay, this kid's going back to mom. And I knew the uncle who'd molested this child would be back at the door by the time settled behind my car and I'm the one who took him back. So then I became a children's librarian, which was strange because I was kicked out of most libraries for talking too much, (laughs) even though I loved reading. So I went on for a master's degree in that. So I've been a director of Children's Public Library Services. But when the call came to create peace in the world through story, which came out of a meditation, at that moment, I had just completed directing a $2.8 million campaign for the School of International Studies at the University of Washington, now called the Jackson School. I had attended a Jean Houston workshop where we had been exploring the space between our two ears. <laughs> and I came out of it, oh my gosh, Brad, I, we drummed, we did rattling, we danced, we talked in nonsensical languages, and we translated it. It was like, oh my word, what has happened to me? And then a week later, I was meditating in the backyard, and an image came to me of a globe being Mm -hmm. held by a pair of hands, my hands, and the words over top were peace through story. And it was so riveting and so powerful, I knew I was being called to go out into the world and do that. 
I had no strategy. I had no plan. I had a spouse at the time that was very unhappy with that decision and used to stand at the door and say, how much money did you make today? And if you do not replace, we were two-income family. We'd made decisions based on two incomes. He said, you can't do this. And I knew if I didn't, I would end up not only resenting him, but being angry with myself. So I stepped out in faith and began to go back what I knew, which was bringing literature to life through storytelling. And so I started out in the field of education for 15 years, traveling the world, telling stories, bringing stories to life, not memorizing stories, Brad, but recasting them for storytelling, which is an entirely different process. I was an entrepreneur at that point. Yeah. A reluctant one. (laughs) (laughs) But it was your calling. You were being called. You had no choice. Had to learn all of those things in the process and just put one foot in front of the other and see what opened up next. And I that's what took me to the former Soviet Union nine times, creating a program called Young Storytellers for Peace. Which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, a little bit later. Absolutely. And going to places like Iraq and Uganda and other places in the world. But here's what I've come to understand about this. Initially, I thought, oh, yeah, go out into the world and make peace through story, build, telling stories where we have shared values, reconnect. But I think in the most recent years, and particularly in my coaching with adults, yeah. is that we need to come to peace with our own story. And that my genius is in being able to help people to see their full story so that they have the opportunity to make peace with it, to extract out of it the wisdom that is theirs to share and then to be able to share it in a way that can impact and influence the lives of others. I love that. That is so beautiful because we so often get caught up in our heads that I don't have a story or who wants to listen to my story or what story do I have to tell? And I am of the mindset and the belief that every single person on this planet has a story to tell and a story to share, and it will impact and resonate with at least one person out there in this world. And I think it's our duty or our responsibility to tell that story and to share it so that others can benefit. And of course, we want more people than just one person to benefit from it. But if one person does, that's our job done. And I think we owe that to the world, just like we are all brought here with gifts. And it's our duty and our responsibility to share that gift with the world so that someone can benefit from it. It's not about us. It's so much bigger than us. Right? right. So thank you for sharing that. I think that is absolutely beautiful, Michelle. Thank you. And to your point, I go through the same stuff. Do I have a story to share? Maybe not. (laughs) Why was it that I do this for a living? But I remembered years ago, and this is really significant. I remembered many years ago, and I did a lot of teacher workshops and storytelling residencies in schools all over the, the world, actually, but primarily in the U.S. And I remembered this woman saying, Michelle, I really like it when you tell stories out of books. They're, it's really fascinating. But when you tell your own stories, not so much. <laughs> really? Like, what? Wow. What a gift. She literally tapped into my own core wounding about not being visible, even though in my life I've been very visible, but you have to be visible to yourself. Yeah. And it's, whoa. And it's amazing how that one comment stifled me. And I, it was my choosing to do it. For a very long time. So here I am telling people, your story matters. And people saying, when are you going to write your book? When are you going to... And I'm going, sometime. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the deal. And here's why that's significant. Is that when I work with a client, at the end of each session, Brad, 
I listen deeply. I listen between the words. I listen. And because I come with all of this background of bringing literally thousands of stories to life out of literature and other people and so on and so forth, what I do is I tell the person their story back to them as I'm hearing it. But it's done in a storytelling way. And it's, that's my story? <laughs> oh, that's my story? And I'll, sometimes I'll say, I, I'd just like you to tell it for me. And I say, yeah. no, that's not the point. But I want you to know you have one. And because we're inside of our own story, we really don't see its potential. When somebody listens to us and then mirrors it back, not exactly as we've told it, because it's recasted. Because of how you're hearing it. Exactly. And we hear it, it's, oh. And what happens is when the person takes that and owns it inside of themselves, they speak differently. They communicate differently. They own the wisdom and the power of their own story. And I'm telling you, seeing that transformation for myself and being a helping to facilitate that through the work I do is the most gratifying thing. In the no world. doubt. What a powerful and beautiful gift you're giving people. And again, they're giving back to you as well because you get to hear these stories, their stories and journeys. That's incredible. And, and Brad, who, how could I have known that? Peace through story from that image. I yeah. could never have imagined that I would have ever, for example, spent a good portion of my career working with people on their own stories. And the reason I even started with that was that I'd been telling other people's stories on stages, like for United Way to raise money and this and that with my background in fundraising, of course, I know how to do that. But I was doing a fundraising event for the Boeing company and they were raising $26 million from employees mm -hmm. that year for what we would say United Way community funds. And I told four stories rather than lecture and say it's important to raise this money, blah, blah, blah. I let the stories do it. We always yeah. do it. The stories do it. And afterward, I get a phone call about three weeks later. And a woman says to me, are you that storyteller who makes grown men cry? Said, <laughs> yeah, that would be me. Having one, you know, these senior vice presidents and the CEO of the Boeing Company sitting there with the reactions. And she said, can you teach us how to do that? I said, you want me to teach you how to make grown men cry? <laughs> and she said, we want you to teach us how to speak from the heart like you do. And that's really what brought me inside of Boeing and what has resulted in all of this coaching for, with leadership programs and, and so on. And now the work I'm doing with entrepreneurs, it's all about helping people find their own story. And I think, Brad, what often happens is we think we can do this fast template. In fact, and this is one of your questions, it, and it has to do with coaching. And it, is we have this thing about what's your thirty-minute, what's your thirty-minute elevator speech? Blah 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 blah. Yeah. I just wanted to do that. And I say, whoa, wait! I need to know your bigger story first. I need to know the tapestry that is your life first, and thread it back together so it's connected. And when you have that, then culling it down to your thirty-minute elevator pitch or your two minute intro at such and so is going to have so much more potency and power because you're going to tell it from the innermost part of your core. But if you just try to do the other, it will never be spoken with the same energy in the same way as if you know the big story. Love it. How long have you been a storytelling coach then? I've been from the time that image came to me and that's been over 40 years. Wow. <laughs> wow. So a long time in answering. 
Lots of stories there. Lots of stories in 40 yeah. years. Yes. So you're the CEO and founder of Story by Design. So can you just share with us a little bit about the company then, please? Even the name Story by Design is that I believe each of our lives have a unique and beautiful design to them. And I'm interested in that design. And so when we say story by design, it's what is the design of your story? And when I even work with clients, because I work with clients where we're doing a curated collection of a number of stories like that they might need in various venues, then we take a look at what is the messaging? How do you want things to land in people? And we go and we find those different pieces and then develop those so that they can be shared. But I've always been interested in design. When I was a little girl growing up in Anchorage, I designed clothes, Brad. I thousands and thousands of, of clothes and writing stories. And my mother would bought butcher paper rolls from the local meat market. We brought yep. them home in a wagon. We didn't even have a car in those days. <laughs> and uh, somehow got them up our front steps in the, in the snow piling over the top of our boots. My older brother, younger sister, my mom and, and me. And we get them up to the house and... So for me, it's always been about design, whether it's my home or it's an extension of our story. So it's a natural thing for me to think about our lives as a tapestry of a unique design. And I'm here to help you find what that is and to extract out of it. To your point earlier, you have your unique story, but it has a universal component. Yeah. yeah. But only can it come through your voice and your way, which is why we want all those delicious story bits that are unique to your experience, even though I may be, and I'll be finding my resonating story within me as I, the listener, I want it to land in me so it can work its magic, is we want that universal part of it too that's going to connect with other human beings so they can benefit by the experience you've had that only you can tell in the way that you tell it. That's right. And that's what it's all about. It goes back to what we were speaking about earlier, having mm -hmm. impact and giving back to others, whether that be through stories, through support, through cheer, whatever it is, yeah. that's what it's all about, is having impact in this world. I love that's it. Right. I want to say to you, my friend, mm -hmm. and I can interrupt because I'm taking over no, your okay. interview. But, okay. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the deal. When I read the questions that you sent me yesterday, mm -hmm. here's what happened for me as a guest on a podcast, uh -huh. is that you had done your homework. You had taken the extra time to read about me, to watch videos, to do everything you did, because you could not have crafted the questions that you had sent me had you not done that. Now, what does that do for me? What that does for me as a guest, Brad, is it makes me feel seen and valued and validated for my story and for my life. And I want to say to you, I know very few people that do that. <laughs> and I can say to you as somebody that values that and values being prepped and ready. It's like when I do a workshop, I take 50 pounds of luggage, rugs and flowers and, and <laughs> centerpieces. And people go, they walk into the room and go, what? I said, you know what? When we do this, what it's saying to you is this room is prepared for you and your story. You matter. When you present to a, a guest the kinds of questions that you have, you're saying to me, I'm prepared for you. You matter. So I want to say thank you for that. 
Oh, okay. Michelle, no, do not thank, be you. Back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for reflecting that because I yeah. think it's my job, my duty, my responsibility as a podcast host to make my guests feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for. I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about you and shine a light on you and the work that you're doing, the beautiful light that you're putting out into the world. And you wouldn't believe how many women have been on my show that have said to me, before we go on air or after we record or whatever the case may be through conversation that they have been on podcasts where they feel like they weren't even listened to. And I mm-hmm. think that's absolutely horrible mm-hmm. that someone takes the time out of their day to spend mm-hmm. with a podcast host an hour, half an hour, whatever it may be. It doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes. The fact that they took the time out of their day to spend it with that person and then to not even be heard. I think that's absolutely horrible. That is the absolute least I can do is to show you that I value you. I value the work you do and I value your time. That's Mm -hmm. important. And I am absolutely honored by each one of my guests that comes on my show that they take the time to be here with me because they could be doing a thousand other things besides spending an hour with me. So I value that and I am honored. I I often compare my experience as a podcast host to you and I were here today. So you and I are in a car together. I'm the passenger. You're the driver. You're taking me along for the ride on the journey of your life. So the least I can do is listen to you. This is what I'm here for is to share the journey of your life. So I thank you for allowing me into this space and sharing your vulnerability and sharing your story with me. It is my honor and my pleasure. So thank you for reflecting that. I really appreciate that. It's nice to know that it is appreciated, that the work I put in is appreciated. So thank you for echoing that. I really appreciate that. And I intentionally did it while you were recording so that you have to do the podcast. (laughs) I see. I'm pretty smart, aren't I? You are very (laughs) smart. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> that was intentional, my friend. That well, was thank you. I appreciate that. What would you say are the three most important lessons that you've learned in your career as a coach? I think, and I want to take even that word coach. I've been referred to more as a mentor as well okay. as a coach. All right. So I would say yeah. both. And I would say the three things are, the, back to your point just now, the importance of listening and listening deeply and understanding that there are many different ways to think about our lives and that sometimes what we're in need of is a new story yeah. <laughs> or taking an old experience and recasting it in a new way because it frees us up for that next chapter. And I would say I've learned that from working with people. I, I was working with a woman who at Boeing who had a really bad experience on a nonprofit board that she served on. And it felt she had really failed. And it was really holding her back from even saying yes to the possibility of being a manager when everybody around her thought, you have got management qualities. You would be yeah. so good. You're so great with people. She wasn't getting it. So as we explored that experience that she'd had, Brad, it was very clear to me that she was far more successful in that than she had even realized, that she had employed so many different strategies to try to work with this very difficult board person and to try to work through issues and this and this and that. And again, back to the reflection, as I reflected back to her, a story I was hearing that she was not telling, 
it shifted everything. She told that story as part of our leadership program because we have three-day graduation and these year-long cohorts and everyone shares a deeper story, a longer one, about 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And what happened was there was an opportunity came up to be a temporary manager of an organization. Do you know she said she put her hat in the ring and she was selected and she ended up going on for a management position and became one of the most beloved managers at the Boeing company. Had she not had that opportunity to rethink and re-experience her story in a fresh new way, Who she knows? the yeah. impact that she had on all the people that came to work for her. The power of storytelling, the power of the art of storytelling. It's just incredible. Right. Right. Wow. The impact is just so phenomenal. I love it. Michelle, what lights you up or excites you the most about the work that you do? getting to know someone really that's, yeah that's a whole other level whole other level i just feel so enriched and honored i go to a party brad and i end up with one person chatting all night <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even get to interact with all the other people <laughs> I would make a lousy politician because i wouldn't know enough to work the room <laughs> i was like where's michelle is she still over there with so and so so I've never felt like I had a lot of time for small talk and because I felt that didn't really feed my soul. So the thing that I find most gratifying about my work and my one-on-one coaching in particular, and I've got some of these extraordinary clients, is to be able to listen deeply and then to support them in being able to tell their story well because there is an art to storytelling. There's yes. so many players and I think people can have great stories, but they're not focusing on the events that need to be elevated, other things dropped away so as not to right. get in the way of the of the impact and being able to help them to craft that in a way that has the potential of sticking to the listener and then experiencing them doing that lights me up. Beautiful. In your journey as a storytelling coach slash mentor, what are the top three challenges you face when it comes to helping your clients tell their stories? And how do you help them overcome those challenges? I think for some people, it is that mindset of my story isn't worth anything. <laughs> yeah, it's our own baggage around that kind of thing. Also, I think for some people, it's even a resistance to be visible because that's taking risks. It's opening yourself up to both acknowledgement, but also criticism. Yeah. yeah. And I think that for some people, sometimes what we want to do is to hang on to the drama of the, place, <laughs> the time yeah. of initiation. What we don't sometimes, and perhaps not quite willing to do, I've found sometimes that a person is so embroiled in that, that they're unable to step away and say, how is that a gift to me? What have I learned from that? Because when you start doing that, then it becomes empowering. Otherwise, we stay in that victim mode. Yeah. And I do think, Brad, that we're wired to want to be in the muck. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, kind of drama. and then what happens to other people is they say, I don't have that dramatic a story. So then we feel like that maybe our stories don't count as much. So I would say that getting folks to be able to get, like in the hero's journey, to get to that place of, celebration of the learning and the gifting of the experience because we're different at the end of something than we were at the beginning how is that can i articulate that and can i use the lessons that came out of this experience to support me and the next challenge that comes my way beautiful i love that 
What is one tip or takeaway that listeners can implement immediately to start stepping into and owning the fact that they do have a story to tell and share with the world? That's a great question. I've actually pondered on that since I saw that (laughs) yesterday. I think it's asking oneself, what's my wisdom? Even just writing something out, what do I think that I have that I've learned in my life to be that could be of value to somebody else? And then identifying what some of those values are. Maybe it has to do with following through on commitments, or maybe it has to do with showing compassion, or maybe it has to do with advocating for certain populations. And then this journey starts, I believe, in going back into childhood and asking ourselves the question, where did that get seated? The other question I'll ask my clients is, what stories or movies did you love as a child? I'm going to ask you to go back and reread those stories. Hmm. And watch Interesting. Because there is something in that is very key to who you are, the essence of who you are. For me, it was Charlotte's Web. Mm. Think about it. What did Charlotte the spider do? She wrote some terrific pig in that spider web yeah. above Wilbur's stall that caused people to not send him to the meat plant. That's right. Yeah. But to survive, she saw him. And she supported him Mm -hmm. in moving in a direction differently than where he was originally intended. Isn't that interesting? A beautiful friendship was built out of that. Exactly. And when she died and she said, Wilbur, stop sobbing. I've got children here and there's these sacks that I want you to take (laughs) care of after I'm gone. So just get over yourself, Wilbur, and do the job that you need to do. No nonsense, Charlotte. But there was that advocacy and that being there for somebody when they needed it the most and contributing in her case the ability to weave a web with words in it yeah michelle let's think about this is that not what my life is about but until i sat down brad and really looked at those early stories also the long winter by laura ingalls wilder because i was raised in a very chaotic home life with a lot of emotional abuse and a very stressed mother with three little kids and a father who I saw just a couple of times a year and financially stressed in every other way and a lot of things that happened that were very abusive. Um, My mother and I did a lot of healing the three weeks before she passed. We had an extraordinary coming together. But so for me, in the long winter, here's a family that's going through all this hardship and yet they don't split. They stay together. And that gave me hope that there was something possible for me to have a life that didn't look and feel like the one that I was currently experiencing. Love it. Thank you for sharing that vulnerable moment, Michelle. Mm-hmm. I want to speak a little bit about your work as a leadership consultant. You had mentioned mm-hmm. you work with companies like Boeing and so forth. So you do a lot of work around storytelling with corporates. So mm-hmm. what is your greatest strength as a leadership consultant, would you say? I think it's my ability to listen, but I also think it's my willingness to say what needs to be said from a place of compassion. No sugarcoating, no bullshit. (laughs) I say to leaders, what comes out of your mouth needs to align with what's going on inside. When I first started working at Boeing and people found out I was a storyteller, there were all kinds of reactions. You can imagine a technical company, engineering, and I had people say, I'm not interested in that touchy-feely crap that you do, Michelle. <laughs> like, oh my God, this is my life. What? You know, what do you yeah. So I had to develop a little tougher skin. Right. Because what I realized was it wasn't their job to come across the bridge to me and understand the power of story. I needed to cross the bridge to them. So I had to learn their language. I had to learn 
what would be of value to them. I had to learn how to recraft my messaging so that they could hear it. Because once they could hear it and they could come across the bridge, then anything was possible in terms of their being open and vulnerable. So I would say to folks, look, because it's important that what comes out of your mouth aligns with what you believe, that if you're out sharing something that you're not in alignment with, it may be a very effective story in terms of the drama of story or the, but I said, people are very smart and they will sniff it out that you're not being authentic. And the person that's going to lose out is you because you only have so much real estate as a leader and you don't want to waste it. So my job is not to be here to help you put a spin on a story. That doesn't serve anybody. I'm here to help you find your authentic connection to the message that you're delivering. And if we can't find it, your organization and you are much better served to have someone else carry this message. And that's where we start. And trust me, there have been people that I've had to be very straight with. I won't believe you. Or this doesn't feel authentic to me. Or... This feels like a spend to me. I don't serve people if I'm not willing to be that straight with them and that direct with them. And I've had people tell me stories they thought would work well. And I've said to them, if I were listening to this story, here's a perspective. My feeling would be you're telling a story about somebody that you dated and they had a hair in the, their chin or something and you, just, <laughs> you end up throwing up on them on the merry-go-round or the Ferris wheel. I said, what I would think is, oh, if you don't look a certain way, if you don't sound a certain way, I'm not going to get anywhere in your organization. I said, is that who you are? Is that wow. how you do Oh my God, Michelle, no. And I said, that's what your story is saying to me. So tell me more. <laughs> and in this case, this person said, when I first met my wife, he said, she has a really high pitched voice and I found it really irritating. And he said, and I was really hard to even listen to her. And he said, until I took the time to get to know her. And now I think her voice is the most beautiful voice ever. I said, now you have something. There now you're showing me that you have the ability to look past something that you don't resonate with in the beginning to what the essence of who a person is. That is a story we're sharing. So as a leader, we have to pay attention to the stories we're telling. And what are the messages inside of those? Because if we're sharing something, it can boomerang on us. I don't care how much facts and data you want to share. I learn more about you by the stories you're telling than any facts or data. So if you want me to get something from you, I say to people, look, when you're speaking to a group, forget all those blasted PowerPoint slides we don't remember anyway. But if I am interviewing somebody three weeks later after you speak, and they've had 17 meetings in between, and they've had family life, and they've had this, and they've had that, what do you want them to remember from your presentation. And more than likely, they can only remember one thing, maybe two if we're lucky. And then they tell me that. And I say, okay, then what we have to find is the most compelling story possible to wrap around that point so that if they remember the story, they will remember the point. What and an incredible perspective. Six. Yeah. That yeah. is powerful. We're inundated. And so Forget the PowerPoint slides. Don't worry yeah. about that stuff. <laughs> And, and I've said to folks, look, think of yourself as an illustrated picture book, all right? Mm -hmm. So you are both the pictures and you're also the words. And if you want to think about your slide deck, because the first thing folks do, particularly in a corporate environment, is put the slide deck together. I said, no, what are you trying to say? What's the impact you're trying to have? What do you want people <laughs> to do? What's the narrative? Get yeah. the story down. And then because you are the illustration, you are the story as you tell it, mm -hmm. then let's think about slides 
that enhance that story. So they are the chorus, but you are the soloist. And let's choose more visuals than a lot of printed data. If I, if you're going to have, tell me something and I'm reading it at the same time, it's like being on your phone and saying you're engaged in a conversation. Yeah. You can't do both, right? So yeah. let's just let the slides enhance your message, but not be the message. Slides are in the background, so to speak. Just background music, we'll call it, right? Yeah. And they're there to enhance and help bring meaning. And through illustration or maybe just a couple key points, but you're doing the talking because people say, yeah, but people need those slide decks for later. And I said, okay, show of hands, everybody. How many of you have gone in and watched a presentation later? Gone in and <laughs> you've just had 22 more meetings. How many of you have done that? Such truth. I love it, Michelle. Love mm-hmm. it. Now, I want to speak a little bit about You mentioned very briefly Young Storytellers for Peace, U.S. and USSR. Can you talk a little bit about that and what the inspiration behind that was? That actually came out of that initial Great Peace in the World through Story. But I woke up from a dream that said I was to go to Russia. (laughs) And I had remembered hearing uh, someone named Dana Perry from Earth Stewards Network was the name of the organization that was taking a group of people. He it is in the Seattle area. I've been living, was living in Seattle for close to 40 years. I'd heard him speak at a Unity Church gathering about this group of citizen diplomats, he called them, that were going to go to the Soviet Union, this was 1984, to build bridges of peace between our countries, to do citizen diplomacy, to try to do what our governments seem to be unable to do. Now, I grew up in Alaska. The bomb sirens would go off when we'd run to the shelters because Russia wasn't that far away and the, and the Soviet Union. I woke up from this dream and I called Dana and I said, I, Dana, I had a dream and I think I was supposed to go. He said, Michelle, do you have your passport? I said, that I have. He said, but visas are, take a little time and it's three weeks away. But he said, what you need to do, everyone who's going has got to involve the community. And I said, that works because I'm doing a performing at a young authors conference this Saturday. I'll talk to the school superintendent. And when I did, he said, Michelle, all the principals are here today from all the schools in the district. How about if I put them in a room with you and you tell them about this? I did. And three weeks later, I had 2,000 letters and pieces of art from children. Wow. able to give to children in the Soviet Union. But I had an opportunity at school number 15 in Moscow, an English-speaking school, 1,500 children. Can you just imagine about eight floors? Holy <laughs> crap. But they had an event for us in the um, concert hall. And here we are sitting. Now, imagine I grew up when I came th- through into Moscow and saw that red flag with a hammer and the sickle. I just, my throat constricted. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I had a history. And in those days, of course, the KGB followed us everywhere and nobody smiled. They went through our luggage. It was like stoic. So here we are at school number 15, children. It's an English-speaking school. And the children performed for us Cinderella, the Western version, the one that we knew. And we're sitting there sobbing because here are these beautiful children. And we're human. It's a family. And then one of the people in the group said, we have a storyteller with us and perhaps you'd like her to tell a story. And Irina, the the headmistress, said, oh, we would be delighted. So I got up on the stage and I 
started by telling Russian fairy tales because I knew when children are learning English and that they know the storyline already, it makes it easier for them to follow. So I right. did Bobby Gun, the kind-hearted little girl, and I did the Frog Princess and Snow Child, Snogodichka, and then other couple of other stories. Afterward, the children came up to me and they said, oh, Michelle Gabriel, they said, would you come back to the Soviet Union? Would you bring more stories inside of your head? And would you bring children to help tell them? And I wow. said, wow. Yes. And then I came back to the U.S. and I thought, what have I done? <laughs> I don't have enough profit. I, but I said yes. So that was the seeding of Young Storytellers for Peace. And it was quite an undertaking, all done at volunteers, the children. We had 147 kids apply to be Young Storytellers for Peace and chose 27. They trained for a year as citizen diplomats and storytellers and took them off. And then PBS television came along and did a documentary about the experience, which is still out on the web. Can you imagine after all Incredible. these years? Incredible. Yeah. And what I did too, Brad, because I wanted the kids to have, I hope, lifelong connections. So we were in Moscow. We were in Leningrad, now St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. We were in Odessa in Ukraine. And so I had a notebook with bios and all the interests of the kids with me. And, and so we actually paired them each of the schools that we were at, and then we did peace committee meetings, a bunch of other stuff. But at each of the locations, they actually had a partner that they were paired with to spend a couple of days with on this journey. And we just came together, this group did, when the war started with Ukraine. And some of these young storytellers for peace who are now in their 40s and 50s, 45, 55, they had ended up, some of them going on to international study and travel the world. And many of them were in each other's their counterparts' weddings. Wow. And actually visited families. It was extraordinary, but I diverse. So that was the genesis of the idea. And then the next year I took teachers. Mm -hmm. Then they created a program of teacher exchanges that lasted for another 12 years. And then I was invited by Soviet television to do a film series, Storytelling Favorite Stories of American Children, and that reached 50 million people. But unbeknownst to me, they actually end up using those videotapes in pedagogical institutes to teach teachers of English how to storytell with expression, like Michelle Gabriel. And wow. so I became known. I, was, I couldn't walk down the street after that without being recognized. <laughs> You're a celebrity. I was. I became their American fairy godmother. That's what I and uh, this gentleman came up to me, Brad, and he introduced himself as a member of the Bolshevik Symphony. And he said, Michelle Gabriel, he said, you know that story you tell on TV, the runaway bunny? And I said, yes. But he said, I tell that story, he said, Michelle, to my two-year-old son every night before he falls asleep. Oh, my God. And I'm just like, oh. Now, here's the deal, Brad. I grew up without a father. And there's always been a hole in the heart. Again, I did healing with my father when he had Alzheimer's. But very difficult relationship. When something like that happens, I say to people, the healing comes from other stories. That papa telling me I know his son was girl would grow up and remember it was his father storytelling to him at night before he fell asleep. Not only was that a gift to his son, that was a gift to me. Absolutely. That's because the gift that, that keeps on giving. Could heal my heart. Yeah. Exactly. Could heal my heart. And the other side of that is there was a young man who heard watched that series and was so enamored. He lived in Odessa in the Ukraine. And in Ukraine, and he was so enamored with English, he studied it. He ended up working for the American embassy in Moscow. He is now a soldier in the Ukrainian army. And he and I started communicating together 
about two years ago. And so we now are on WhatsApp and we have periodic conversations. And now I've been working with students there that have been dispersed all over everywhere because of what's happening in Ukraine and using story as a way of comforting them. Amazing. So you, so, don't, you don't know how these are all going to work, right? Beautiful. So beautiful. Wow. Thank you again for sharing that. <laughs> again, it's the power of storytelling and the impact that it has on people's lives. It's incredible. Beautiful. Michelle, you also do some philanthropic work and sit on a nonprofit board. Can you talk a little bit about that and how important to you as an entrepreneur that work of giving back is and what it means to you personally? It means everything. It means everything. I, as I share with you that whole experience, nine trips to the former Soviet Union, the film series, everything, that was all done as a volunteer. And two full-time jobs. One, one I paid for it. The other one, I didn't. That's what you do. So when I came to Costa Rica about nine years ago, I did not want to be one of those expats that just comes and takes from the country. I feel like you have to give back wherever your feet are planted. Because I didn't speak Spanish, actually, I still don't. I'm not proud of that, but it's the truth. I've had a numerous teachers, and this it just comes in one ear and out the other. And I think part of it is I so desperately want to communicate that I don't have the patience and not know words. But regardless, I joined an organization then that, that was English-speaking, the Women's Club of Costa Rica, that literally was on uh, operation for over 80 years and was president on the board for six years. We raised money for education, scholarships for worthy students who were just needing some support, not just money, but mentoring as well. And then school books for children that I helped to deliver, even going to little indigenous communities where we would cross streams and we would roll up our pant legs and the person was carrying the books on their shoulder, not mine, but someone else, a hefty yeah. man, and to deliver them to little barefoot children so that they had the books that they needed in order to do their work. And so that was meaningful. And when I came here, I, I said, I want to recreate my life in a way that I have more time to do this type of thing. Now I am on the board, have been since 2018, on something called the Amigos of Costa Rica. It's all spelled out, .org, amigosofcostarica.org. This is an amazing organization. It's U.S.-based, and it is really focused on supporting communities in Costa Rica through the philanthropic efforts of, and, and donations of donors, not just in the U.S., but around the world. So we're able to work with donors who many have come to Costa Rica. They loved being here. They saw a sloth for the first time, two guns, howler monkeys, <laughs> and did a little zip lining. But they want to do something more. And this is a way to leave their heart here, a part of their heart here. What's so beautiful about this organization, I'm so privileged to be a part of the board, is that we have over 120 vetted affiliate nonprofits, NGOs right here in the country that we support, which means that when a donor has a particular area of interest, conservation or education or human trafficking, whatever it is, we are able then to help them focus on where they can get involved, the organizations that are focused on that, so that we can bring those partnerships together in service of stronger communities. Brad, to sit with many of these organizations and to hear the work that they're doing, and we also believe, and I believe in this strongly, that's why I was so interested in being, when I was invited to be on the board, is that we're about lifting people up and empowerment. In other words, let the communities decide what they need and let's then support them 
from a fundraising perspective and how to tell their story, how to be able to communicate with their donors, how to be able to create visibility for what it is that they're doing. We can shine a light on what they're doing as well through our connections. And then donors can come to us and say, look, I'd like to donate XX. How do I go about doing that? And and be able to facilitate that because it's complicated. And we are the go-to place. We are the place that donors now in the U.S. are recognizing that if they want to make a worthy investment and they want to know that their funds are having an impact and they want accountability, we are the place to come because we know all of these organizations in Costa Rica. So we generated this past year alone over $5 million going to organizations here in Costa Rica. And our five-year strategic plan is to increase that to $10 million annually. Because it's not just money, that translates into improved lives, improved communities. And again, as I've sat with people, there's one woman in particular who's a beautiful human being who lived in the U.S. for a time, came back to Costa Rica, started an organization to empower young girls, many of whom have come from very abusive backgrounds. And so to bring girls together and to give them hope and give the skills and strategies and how to work with difficult situations and dealing with conflict. All of this is raising everybody up. And that's, and that's what, what it's about. Privilege to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So. You are such an incredibly inspirational human being, Michelle, mm-hmm. with yeah. all the work that you do. I'm blown away. It's incredible. I love these little stories that you're sharing. Just so inspiring. I try not to make a point without telling you a story. (laughs) (laughs) Because, of course, I'm hoping it will stick. Yes. (laughs) Michelle, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Mm, Compassion. Love it. Mm -hmm. When my mother was dying, and as I said, we did all of our healing work in the last three weeks, and... My mother was asking for my forgiveness. I was asking for hers. We both had hurt each other. And she said to me, she said, your soul picked me out to be your mother before you came. (laughs) Mama, there is no doubt about it. And I said to her, "I, I accept you're asking forgiveness. But I said, I also know something based on my life. And I was 42 at the time. I said, Mom, I know that I would not be the person that I am had all these things not happened. Had I not experienced the pain and the the suffering and the abuse and the questioning of self and all of these things being told behind closed doors, because I was Miss Anchorage, first turned up Miss Alaska. I was out there all kinds of stuff from the time I was young. But behind closed doors, it was an entirely different story. And I said, Mama, what all of that says to me, and this is, I was 42, I'm not even how old I am today, that... I would not be as accessible to people because people are only going to share themselves deeply if they think you understand. If they don't think that you have enough breadth of experience and wisdom, why would they entrust you with the deepest and even darkest parts of their lives? They wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. I'm grateful to my mother who's with me all the time. She crossed over on the wings of a bird. I would bring her flowers when she was even in her coma so she could smell the scents and read to her like she did for us as children and massaged her hands and feet like she did for us as children. Because everything we do, in my opinion, Brad, is is to heal that which has gone before and to create something new. So that's my ability, I think, is having the ability to feel, to understand, to empathize, and doing the internal work that I need to continue to do 
Yeah, that never stops because we're constantly evolving as human beings. You're never done the work. That's a constant That's journey. And trust me, the, the, the triggers do come up. Yeah, of course they do. Absolutely. Girl, we're human beings. Better, you better breathe on this one. So it's <laughs> a constant thing that I, I don't want my stuff to get in the way of being of service to somebody else. Love it. Michelle, how do you define the word success? By the number of people whose lives I've touched. <laughs> ah, love it. What yeah. is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? So I'm still learning it, in all fairness. <laughs> <laughs> and it's self-love, my friend. It's learning to love me and to forgive me for being human and to forgive myself for not being perfect and to forgive myself for to be less judgmental of myself. And I would say I've learned that. What's my like after? My, I'm still working on it. Yeah. I'm still working on it because I believe that self-love piece is so important because if I can love myself, Brad, I can also love others more fully. And so that's my work. That's my job is to do that, in my opinion, because the more that I do that, I think the more that I can be a source of love for others. What a beautiful way to look at it. That's our job mm. is to love ourselves so that we don't deprive others of our love. I love that. Thank you for sharing that yeah. beautiful way to, to, to say that and to share that and to realize that to have the self-awareness for that yeah. is incredible. Truly. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer. All right. All right. right. Hold on. Hold on. Get ready. You can do it, Michelle. I know you can. Okay. I'll strap on my seatbelt. And you said one word answers, right? Okay. That's going to be one, one to four word answers. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. You got to keep them short and concise. Okay, no okay. stories on these ones, no okay? No stories on this one. Okay, okay. Let me, as I said, strap on the seatbelt. Okay, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> How would you describe yourself in one word? Mm, inspirational. <laughs> what is your favorite self-care practice? Swimming. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? The importance of our own stories. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? My ability to connect. What never fails to make you laugh? Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, just the, the, those delicious moments where it can be almost silly, but where I feel like I'm just laughing from the belly. It's somebody cracking a joke or doing yeah. something that just makes me laugh from the belly up. What is the best compliment you can give yourself? That I was totally present. Beautiful. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> what challenge in your life has shaped you the most? My upbringing. Okay. My upbringing. Yeah. I had become my mother's mother at the age of eight. And when my mother, when we, they were separated, my parents for 14 years, when they went to court, I was a junior in high school. I spent 40 days out of school helping my mother get ready for court. In those days, Brad, the children even testified in court, and I testified against my father, something a child should never, ever be put in that position. No. And when we did not receive anything, not that we were getting that much to begin with, but for college or anything else, were, were, it not for, were I not a pageant winner, I wouldn't have even gone to college. But my mother went to bed for a year and never got out of bed except to cook a meal, and then yelled at her children from the moment they walked in at the end of the day to when we went to bed at night. Those were really tough times. 
And so I would say that behind closed doors, I was told I was worthless, that if anyone got to know me well, they'd had nothing to do with me. And again, it came out of a woman who was deeply depressed. Life had not turned out the way she had hoped. And I understand that. I understand that now better than ever. But there was a moment, so I'll tell you this story briefly. I was a, had the role of Emily in Thornton Wilder's Our Town, my freshman year at Alaska Methodist University. I was on stage doing a re- rehearsal, a scene with my stage father. The director, Frank Brink, yelled at me from the back of the darkened auditorium and said, I don't believe you. You're faking it. Maybe 99% of the people, but I don't believe you. And all of a sudden, I yelled back at him something that was very uncharacteristic of me. I said to him, how do you expect me to relate to a stage father if I have no idea how to relate to a real father? Wow. And then I started crying. He sent everybody down the hall for coffee, took me in his office, and I cried and cried. And then I began telling him what was being said to me behind closed doors that nobody knew. Again, I was out there, leader, junior prom queen, you name it, I was it. So nobody would have known that behind closed doors, all of this was going on. I said to him, Frank, I am so afraid that if you get to know me, I will just be this empty void of space. And he said to me, Michelle, the person that I cast in the role of Emily is the person behind all of these personas that you have crafted for survival. And he said, that is the vulnerable, beautiful, compassionate human being that I see. And then I'm inviting you to bring that to the stage and into life. That is the first person male that ever validated me, Brad. You were seen and heard in that moment. That's right. Beautiful and so powerful. Gift to others, which is what I think my core of my work, if I can help you feel seen, then I am continuing to heal my own lineage around that. Beautiful. What's one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their lives? To trust your intuition and say yes. And you don't have to have it figured out and you don't have to know. You just have to trust, put one foot in front of the other and take action and everything else will unfold as it's meant to. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? (laughs) To sound like somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty bad advice. That's that's (laughs) taking away from who you are, your, your authenticity. There's a lot of stuff out there these days telling everybody how to show up, how to be, how to talk, how to this, how to that. And I think what's happening is we're becoming almost homogeneous in our approach. And I find myself really resisting that. I I think every person's unique. And even though there are certain elements, yes, that need to be consistent, I do think that to be effective, I do think that when we try to, to show up in certain stage presence as we we perform as I say, I'm not a performer. I'm a co-creator. There's a difference. When I stand on that stage, I'm not there to perform. I'm there to co-create with you so that you can have your imagination activated and you can leave with your own rendition of what it is that I just shared. So that's it. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? Ah, (laughs) that I can do online teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have no idea. I got my first Mac computer in 1990, and I was so afraid of it. I was afraid it was going to eat everything I put in it. (laughs) And that stayed with me. And the trauma and everything, I resisted doing an online course, which I just, I've done online coaching for a long time. But the idea of a class, because I haven't, I've done this so much around the world. I love being in the room. I love feeling the energy. I love the connection. 
And yeah. I wasn't convinced it could actually happen online. And so I just completed my first pilot of an online getting to the heart of your why class. Thank you. And Yay. even though I was <laughs> with the technology, <laughs> in fact, one of the participants said, your feedback, I said, ask for feedback. She said, I think you should apologize less. <laughs> I said, honey, I think you're right. <laughs> Next time, no apologies. She said, everybody understands. And what happens is when I let myself get into that, then of course I start to fret. So I think the fact that I'm recognizing that even at this age, it's all so new that I can go out on Google, I can follow a tutorial, I can call somebody, and I don't need to let that technology get in the way of my doing what I'm supposed to do in the world. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? <laughs> I saw that question, my friend. I came up with four. <laughs> <laughs> we just need one. I just know. One. So I'm going to quickly say it would be Carol Burnett, Meryl Streep, or Maya Angelou if she was still living. But, okay, but I'm focusing on one. Jacinda Ardern, the Prime okay. Minister of New Zealand, because she showed such compassion with the killings in the two mosques on Christchurch. She banned assault weapons within weeks. She took the courage of this young woman to take a stand, and yet in every interview, when you would ask her, what is the most important quality of a leader? She would say kindness and compassion. Yes, I would like to sit with her for an hour. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Love yourself, honey. <laughs> Plain and simple. doesn't get much simpler than that. It sounds simple. It's not easy yeah. to do. No. Um, no. You're enough. Just yeah. as you are, you're enough. Yeah. Lastly, Michelle, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, mm -hmm. your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Take the time to be with one another. Take the time to listen. Take the time to acknowledge the beauty that you see in front of you and that other person. And my hope would be they would do the same and you would walk away enriched. Beautiful. Michelle, thank you so very much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You are such an incredibly inspirational woman. You shine such a bright, beautiful light out into the world through who you are as a human being, a woman and a soul, and through all of the beautiful work that you do and the impact you have in the world. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I appreciate you, and I'm so grateful to know you and to be able to call you a friend. And I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you for today. Brad, thank you so much. This has been a huge gift for me. And I know one of your goals is that a person walks away from an interview with you with more insights and an opportunity to perhaps speak something in a way differently or with greater meaning than they may have before. And that's exactly what you have been successful in doing. And so I know from my perspective, going back to what you said earlier, this has been worth my time to spend this time with you and to be heard and to be valued. I look at this as a truly rich and heart-filling, soul-filling exchange that we've had. Thank you for that reflection. That means more to me than you could possibly know. You're a beautiful soul, Michelle. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, my name is Brad Welsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Michelle Gabriel. She is an award-winning storyteller, the founder and CEO of Story by Design, an author, 
a coach, a keynote speaker, and a leadership consultant. Thank you so much, Michelle. I hope you have a beautiful and wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.